Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to How to Help Smokers Escape Their Doomed Romance with Cigarettes. Now, smokers sometimes look at me strangely when I liken their smoking addiction to a doomed romance with a charming abuser. But it does get them thinking, and often gets them living longer than they would have, too. If you see a smoker as just someone with a bad habit, you'll find them tough to help. So the smoker is in a relationship with the smoking. And, of course, it's not a very good relationship. And, in fact, it's one akin to the well-known psychological state of Stockholm Syndrome. So what is Stockholm Syndrome? Now, back in 1973 in Stockholm, in Sweden, a bank was held siege and some of the employees were kidnapped. They were in danger and they knew it. Their lives were under threat. But amazingly, at the end of their captivity, several of the kidnapped victims resisted attempts to rescue them. They resisted their rescuers' attempts to get them out of there and later refused to testify against their former captors, stroke abusers. They'd somehow come to identify and sympathise with the source of the threat to their personal safety. This identification or attraction, even love, for what threatens us came to be called Stockholm Syndrome. And there have been um, other famous cases of the seemingly bizarre Stockholm Syndrome, such as the Paddy Hurst case in which the heiress was kidnapped by the self-styled Symbionese Liberation Army. And she was uh, locked up in a cupboard, in a tiny cupboard for a long time. She was sexually abused and beaten. But despite that, or as we'll see in a bit, maybe because of that, she came to identify with her terrorist kidnappers to the extent that she quickly joined their terrorist organization and became one of them. So what's going on here? Why does Stockholm Syndrome happen and how does it relate to you, me and everybody and most obviously to smokers? Stockholm Syndrome is everywhere. We can come to love or seem to love and cherish the very person or thing that exploits or abuses or threatens us or may even kill us in the end. And this can happen in an abusive relationship with another person, for example, or when the now grown-up child of abusive parents defends those parents' actions, even crimes, against them, claiming there were justifiable reasons for the abuse. Loyalty, or love, isn't always reasonable. Intensity, any intensity, is highly focusing of human attention. The problem is we don't always know what to attribute the intensity to. Knowing all this is key to finding a way to help smokers quit, believe it or not. So I want to give you four ways to talk about your client's abusive relationship with cigarettes. Are they still in love with it or have they fallen out of love with it but feel um, shackled to it?
So number one, talk about the high focus and emotional attachment connection. We become conditioned or brainwashed or indoctrinated through or partly through emotional intensity. We come to feel that intensity itself is important and even profound when in fact it is quite often just intensity. If someone makes us feel uh, strongly emotional in some way or we become connected to them during a time of strong emotion then that strong emotion may glue an emotional connection in place between you and that person be that in a relationship or uh, kidnappers in Stockholm in 1973. So it really can be as simple as that. Men and women find one another more attractive, for example, according to some research, if they meet on top of a high rope bridge because they misattribute the increased heart rate through being up high as the intensity of attraction. So if you're kidnapped, you have a pretty intense focus on your kidnapper who becomes the sole provider for you threat and safety all in one. This can tip over, it seems, from fear to attraction. People may smoke during intense times and therefore the smoking comes to feel highly significant to them. Something that's there for them in the good times and the bad times. Perhaps the one constant in their life. You might see a good friend who seems so attached to a complete sociopath or narcissist or abuser and you wonder why your friend doesn't see sense and leave that horrible partner. And it could be the intensity factor that makes the relationship feel more significant than any other relationship before. Or it might be the illusion of soul provision. So number two, talk about the soul provider. The idea that without me, you're nothing. The first step towards making someone really dependent on you is to somehow become or appear to become the sole provider of all their needs. If you control their need for a, a sense of safety, attention and so on, then they can come to perceive that they can only get these vital needs met through you and you alone. Then you force an in inevitable sense of intimacy and dependency with them because without you, they're nothing. We see the same thing when a love-struck person declares but how can I live without them? And it may be that Stockholm Syndrome is little more than a regression back to the total dependency role uh, that we had as very young children when we were relying on parents for everything. So yes, the parents might have scolded us, but they also provided us with everything that we needed. Some smokers come to feel their smoking is like a friend, albeit one that steals their money, their looks, and years from their life. Smokers, even if they feel they hate smoking, can come to feel that they can't live without it. Somehow it may have convinced them that it and it alone can provide everything that they need, and that they can't ever do without it. It's got them thinking that cigarettes, they, provide them with relaxation, concentration, something to do with their hands, that it calms, comforts and supports them, helps them overcome boredom and bonds with other people. If you ask a smoker, well, what do you get from smoking? Then they'll often say a combination of what I've just mentioned. And the common idea that smoking is highly physically addictive 
and the social reinforcement that smoking must be really hard to break up with is also widely promoted, reinforcing the hopeless hostage situation. So number three, you can talk about why familiarity feels so good. And of course, just because something feels familiar, that doesn't necessarily equate with safety. Familiarity keeps people emotionally hooked on something or someone, despite them sometimes being all too aware that what they're in a relationship with is abusing them or even killing them slowly. So we need to untangle the associations cleverly, but quickly. The familiar, what becomes familiar, starts to just feel right somehow, however pathological it seems to other people. I knew a psychiatric patient when I was working in that field who had cut her arms so much and through so many multiple skin grafts that it felt to her normal and comforting rather than an act of desperation, as others might assume. She found it to be like a friend to her. She would sit at home when she wasn't an impatient, watching TV, drinking tea and cutting. Number four, talk about how smoking will try to win them back once they've walked away from the abusive relationship. So I never talk to smokers about withdrawal symptoms, but rather indications that they're healing. I also frame any urges to smoke once they've broken free of it as the ex-abuser trying to charm and con them back again so that they can be ready for that and they can even be curious as to the little tricks it's going to try on them to try and get them back again. So this externalizes the pattern of the behavior and is a highly effective strategy. According to the World Health Organization, one billion people will be killed this century by cigarettes, willing martyrs to the profit-making of the tobacco industry, people on some level prepared to lay down their lives for the cause of industry profits. Stockholm Syndrome, the worst kind of relationship, doesn't just happen in human relationships, but also behavioral ones. Warning the love-struck teenage girl about the bad boy may make him more attractive to her. And scare tactics will often have the smokers more intensely engaged in their self-harm. But knowing how to present ideas to smokers, hypnotically and otherwise, that are unfamiliar enough to them in the smoking context, but understandable in the field of human relationships, is a wonderfully powerful way to help them out of the particular dependency that they'd become uh, trapped within. So, remember this. When you help free a smoker, you're freeing a hostage as well, as unfamiliar as that idea might seem. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. Mm -hmm.